Welcome to EM Guidewire, brought to you by the emergency medicine residents and faculty at Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. Pediatric Emergency Medicine, mini guidewires for many people. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Penn Guidewire, a mini guidewire for many people. Today's episode is brought to you by Sweet Tea, because we're in the South. Sweet Tea. So this series will be a collection of conversations brought to you by Pediatric Emergency Medicine Fellows at Carolina's Medical Center. This week, we are going to be discussing IV fluids in DKA. Today, we are here with Dr. Grady. Dr. Mazo. This is Dr. Walker. And Dr. Schiller. Um, hey, guys. So yesterday, I had this really rough shift. A ton of high acuity and difficult patients. There was this one really sick kid that I'd like to talk through with you guys. Tell us more, Dr. Mazo. So I had this five-year-old kid that came in and looked really sick. He was previously healthy, um, but mom said that he had been sick for a while. She had noticed that he lost about 10 pounds. He seemed to be peeing a lot, drinking all the time, and eating like crazy. By the time he came to us, he was super sleepy and just looked really sick. Okay, like what were his labs like? So his initial glucose was 650. His pH was 7.1, bicarb of 7, sodium of 135, and potassium of 5. Wow, that pretty much sounds like a new onset DKA. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So how do you normally manage these kids in a busy emergency department? So generally, if the kid looks dry, I give them a normal saline bolus pretty much from the second that I see them. Uh, Our protocol here in the emergency department is to start a three-bag system, but as we all know, the emergency department takes a little while to get things done sometimes. You give a bolus? What about the risk of cerebral edema? I've always been told that pushing fluids in a sick DK kid can cause some bad neurologic outcomes. I'm glad that you brought that up, Dr. Mazo. There was actually a recent article about fluids in DK, and lucky for us, our two friends, Dr. Grady and Dr. Tiller, are here to tell us a little bit more about that. Dr. Tiller, I hear you're an expert on DKA. Well, I almost did an endo fellowship, so I consider myself an expert. Just kidding. But I did read a new article in the New England Journal of Medicine about DKA and fluids, so I'm feeling pretty good about fluid management in the DKA patient. Oh, I heard of that article. It's called Clinical Trial of Fluid Infusion Rates for Pediatric Diabetic Ketoacidosis by Cooperman et al. Yep, that's the one. I didn't have a chance to read it. (laughs) Don't worry, I did. What exactly are you confused about in these patients? Well, I've heard a lot of different things about fluids and DKA. Some attendings are really scared to give a fluid bolus too fast because they're very worried about cerebral edema. But other attendings tell me that my patient's very dehydrated and I need to treat their dehydration. So I don't know what to do. I completely agree with you. I, too, have heard different opinions on how to treat these patients, and it can get pretty confusing. I think that a lot of what the confusion comes from that there are early theories about DKA-related brain injury that suggest that rapid administration of IV fluids would reduce serum osmolality, thus resulting in brain swelling. So a lot of treatment protocols were then based off of giving slow rehydration with isotonic fluids to prevent this. But when we look back at these studies, many of them were retrospective reviews that selectively included patients that had more severe illness and were more dehydrated at baseline. Even with slow rehydration protocols, rates of clinically apparent brain injury have remained stable over time, and the rate is pretty low, less than 1%. Newer theories are suggesting that brain injury may not be associated with faster infusion rates, but rather other abnormalities in cerebral perfusion and inflammation that occur due to the DKA process. The article that you mentioned in the New England Journal of Medicine looked at this very topic. What specifically did they look in the study? So they did a large randomized controlled trial 
looking at pediatric patients across 13 emergency departments. They compared four rehydration treatment regimens in children with DKA. These groups were fast administration of half-normal saline, fast administration of normal saline, slow administration of half-normal saline, and slow administration of normal saline. And what was the difference between the fast and the slow groups? So the fast groups were given 10 milliliters per kilogram as an initial bolus, followed by a second bolus. They assumed a 10% body weight fluid deficit and replaced half of this in the first 12 hours and the second half over the following 24 hours. This was given in addition to maintenance fluids. The slow groups, however, were given only the initial 10 mL per kg fluid bolus. They assumed a 5% body weight fluid deficit and replaced this evenly over 24 hours in addition to maintenance fluids. So basically, one group got 10 per kilo and the other group got two 10 per kilo boluses. And that group that got two 10 per kilo boluses also got slightly higher fluids in the maintenance period. Exactly. So how did they evaluate these patients for cerebral edema? So they looked at neurologic outcomes by recording changes in GCS. The primary outcome was two consecutive GCS scores of less than 14 during the first 24 hours of treatment. The secondary outcomes they looked at were short-term memory changes. They measured this using forward and backward digit span recall. Clinically apparent brain injuries, so this included patients who required treatment for cerebral edema with hyperosmolar therapy, patients who needed intubation, or patients who actually died. They also looked at short-term memory, contextual memory, and IQ two to six months after an episode of DKA. And what did they find? Well, in total, they had 1,255 patients with 1,361 episodes of DKA because some of these patients came back more than once between the year 2011 and 2016. The demographics were spread fairly equally among all four groups. GCS of less than 14 occurred in 48 patients, only 3.5%. 22 children ended up receiving hypertonic saline for possible cerebral edema. In 12 episodes, children had clinically apparent brain injury. The majority of these patients presented with severe acidosis and hypocapnia. One of those 12 patients did end up dying, and the remaining recovered with no obvious neurologic injuries. When they compared the four groups, there was no significant differences among the groups in the percentage of episodes in which GCS was less than 14, in the magnitude of the decline of GCS, or in the duration of the decline. The incidence of clinically apparent brain injury was slightly higher in the slow rehydration group. However, this was not a statistically significant difference. Digit span scores were not significantly different between the four groups. In the subgroup analysis, they did not find any differences in patients with more severe DKA. The four digit span scores were slightly higher in the rapid rehydration groups. In terms of long-term neurocognitive outcomes, there was no significant differences among the trial groups. So basically, this was a really big study, and they had four groups, and the four groups were all very similar in terms of their demographics and presenting symptoms. And in the end, they had very similar outcomes, despite one group getting slightly more fluids than the other group. Yep, that's about right. What are differences did they find between these groups? So they did find that there were more episodes of hyperchloremic acidosis in the patients who received normal saline versus those who received half-normal saline. The normal saline groups were also associated with higher incidences of hypocalcemia and hypophosphatemia than the half-normal groups. So wait, you're saying they bolus with both normal saline and half-normal saline? Yes, and I know that's something that we haven't always been taught is correct, but they bolus with both of those, and there were no significant differences in the outcomes. Some of the other minor differences that they found the rapid fluid rates were associated with higher incidence of hypocalcemia. Hypoglycemia and hypokalemia occurred at similar rates, 
and there is no difference between the time to resolution of DKA and the duration of hospitalization with any of the groups. So what does this mean for managing patients in the ED? So the study looks at upper and lower boundaries of currently accepted protocols in terms of slow and fast infusion rates. If you followed what the study did by their definition of slow and fast, then we could reasonably assume that we would have similar outcomes. However, it is possible that we would start to see more differences if we use rates outside of the ranges that were studied. The other issue with the study is that clinically apparent brain injury occurs so infrequently, again, less than 1% of all episodes of DKA, so it's really challenging to design a study that's going to have enough significant statistical power to detect differences in the outcome. So it sounds like the slow infusion group and the fast infusion groups were really not that different from each other. Right. And one of the other things that they looked at was using GCS as a surrogate for cerebral edema. As we know, GCS was initially created as a tool to assess trauma patients, so it may not be the most appropriate thing to use in this scenario. Additionally, even if we are going to use GCS, it is possible that a decline in GCS can be due to physiologic processes that are different from cerebral edema. So Dr. Tiller, after reading this article, would you change how you manage patients in the emergency department? I think after reading this, um, it just confirmed for me that if we are giving small amounts of fluids like they did here, either the slow rate or the fast rate, which as we mentioned, either 10 per kilo or 20 per kilo, that kids should be safe. I don't think it's safe to give large amounts of fluids and treat them like they are adults and walk away. However, I think that the risk of cerebral edema is a lot less than previously thought. Yes. That's interesting because our adult colleagues have no hesitation to give a patient in DKA tons of fluids. A patient might get up to four liters right off the bat. So I think it's interesting that in this study they looked at much lower fluid volumes, and the differences were quite small. One group got 10 per kilo, the other group got 20 per kilo. Yes, and I think one of the reasons is that is because adults do not have the same risk of cerebral edema. Kids have a very low risk, obviously, but that risk is almost zero when it comes to adults though they feel a lot more comfortable giving large amounts of fluids. So what I take away from this article is that I really need to look at my patient clinically and base my resuscitation off of how they appear to me clinically. And from the article, we know that there are two acceptable studied treatment regimens for bolusing kids who are presenting in DKA. Both of them are acceptable, but we don't know bolusing at higher rates, um, bolusing more significant amounts of fluid, how that really would impact them. And the other, th- the other, I think, point to take away from this is that if I'm following patients clinically, looking at my patient, seeing that they're requiring more and more fluids, then I need to think about what other things might be going on with them outside of the DKA. I completely agree. Okay, everyone. Well, I I think that was a great conversation, talking about giving slow fluids for DKA versus fast fluids for DKA. Um, I think we had some really good take-home points on uh, this mini guide wire for many people here at Carolina's Medical Center. Thanks for listening to EM Guidewire. Go! Be awesome today. CMC out.